When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here it is, folks. This is the moment. It's Archer to Guptal. Two to win. Guptal's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's gone through. It's got to go to the keeper's end. Go on. Go on. Well, that was the winning moment described by Ian Smith and celebrated by all the people in the videotape truck at the back of the Lord's ground there where I was spending time trying to do the analysis, but we didn't need to do any analysis over the last 25 minutes, half an hour of that game, because it, it spoke for itself. The story was, you couldn't make it up, actually. It was that stranger than fiction. How England managed to win that game well, it was beyond me, really, how they managed to do it, but it was the most one of the most remarkable cricket stories. I've ever experienced actually yeah. well you, you won't see a game like that again I don't think and I don't think anyone who's here today has seen anything quite like it astonishing I, I agree I actually feel quite sorry for New Zealand I, they did not deserve to lose the match it was really tough on them there was that fluky moment in that final over when Ben Stokes dived to make his ground the throw hit the end of his bat and went to the boundary for four I've seen some people on social media say oh you know lack of sportsmanship or it's all wrong I'm afraid that is just the laws of the game it was just plain unlucky for New Zealand but they would have if it hadn't have gone for four if it just say just hit the bat and stopped just being two then it would have been seven to win from two balls England they might have won it who knows but that gave them an enormous help. Mm. Well, actually, I spoke to Marais Erasmus, one of the umpires out there, after the game, because there was a bit of a consultation about that moment, and he said uh, the consultation was over whether they crossed or not, well, whether the batsman crossed or not. What I think he meant by that was whether Stokes crossed from one side of the pitch to the other to try to get in the way of the throw, and, of course, if right. he had done that, then he would have been out. But he didn't. He just he just went to one end. He stayed, he stayed a true course, died to make his ground, so he was not obstruction of the field. No, and, whatever and, and actually, to, to the great credit of the New Zealanders and obviously uh, the English fans and the everybody watching, there was no real qualms.
qualms about that. I mean, you might say there's some question marks on social media, but certainly the players on the no, field, they, they, know they the accepted laws. it. Yeah, well, they know the laws, don't yeah. they? They know that it was, it was just a moment of a massive good but, fortune but for it, England. It was, because at, at that point, well, just, just before Stokes hit his six off that final over, it was 15 to win off four balls. And that, that's a totally hopeless equation. Yeah. But then, because of the six that Stokes managed to hit, when, uh, which went over the boundary, and then the six of the overthrows, it was suddenly three off two balls. So it was an extraordinary change of circumstances. Well, what about the nature of New Zealand's uh, defeat? I mean, they lost because they hit fewer boundaries in the match. Uh, the, the, it's, it's such an arbitrary way of deciding a game, isn't it? Uh, the only thing I would say about it is that both sides knew the laws mm. or knew the regulations before they go into the game, before they went into the Super Over. So New Zealand knew they had to hit two off the last ball. It does seem an extremely arbitrary way, but then you could say, well, New Zealand only got into the semi-finals because they you know, got through on net run rate, which seems like a, quite an arbitrary way. And is that a particularly fair way of deciding teams who are level on points you know, in, in, the, in the league stage of the World Cup? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you can argue about this forever and ever until the next World Cup starts. But I don't know. I mean, it's a fantastic day for England. Of course it was. And they got this four-year plan. They, they set out to try to win the World Cup with this sort of tacking, aggressive cricket. Not that it was like that today, mind you. Uh, and they ultimately achieved it. But they, were, they had a lot of good fortune in t- today in, in, in achieving it. No, I, I, it was an odd day's cricket, really, because there was no big sixes or even that many boundaries, actually. A, a pitch which demanded a little bit more respect from the, the batsmen and a lot of movement from the bowlers. And actually, I, I think England only hit some sixes with, with Stokes at the end there. They hadn't managed any before. Uh, un- ironically, considering so much of their campaign over the last four years has been based on power and you know big booming sixes out of the park and suddenly today it was much more about art and craft yeah. rather than just pure sort of machoism was it a good pitch for a final do you think was it a good pitch for a world well, cup I, final yeah definitely well, look look at the result of it you know look at the way it kept everybody on their seat, the edge of their seats right until the super over and the, actually one of the producers on the the tv coverage said we think need about 70 to win he said oh there could be a super over and we all laughed <laughs> And, of course, it came down to it. And, ironically, so that's you now twice being involved on commentary with a game at the end of a, a tournament being decided on by a hair's breadth. So yeah. you, I'm talking about the tie, the tie game, you commentated yeah. on for Australia against South Africa in 1999. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely forgotten that. I mean, at the time, it was the, the greatest one-day match I've ever seen, and it, it was until today. I mean, that was, that was amazing as well. I mean, that was sort of on a technicality as well, that Australia went to the final. It was it was to do with what they'd achieved earlier in the in the group stage, and that and that put them through in the, in the event of a tie. So you, you have to have something to to settle. I remember there was a Champions Trophy in Sri Lanka in the early 2000s that was shared because both days cricket were was rained off, and they shared it. And I we were talking afterwards up in the in the commentary box. Uh, Jeremy Coney was saying, you know, such an arbitrary way. Wouldn't it have been better actually if if the World Cup had been shared? You know, the the, the main the main match was a tie, the Super Over was a tie, and then it got decided on. On a you know arbitrary number of, of boundaries in, in the match, that was the tiebreaker. Both sides knew it. Really, really tough for New Zealand. You know, a fantastic opportunity. They 
looked likely winners, I thought, for a really long time mm. during England's innings. England just could not get going on this sort of sluggish, you know, difficult Lord's well, you see, pitch. I think it negated the power hitters, and I think actually that's good. That's sort of almost old-fashioned cricket. Look at the guy who had the best figures of the day, Colin de Grandome, 10 overs, 1 for 25, oh. and actually, you know, he's a classic, what the New Zealanders like to call dribbly bowler. But if you're watching at home, pace, well, if you're watching at home today, was okay, if you were here, you know, it, it felt gripping. Of course it did. If you're watching at home, I don't know, it was a fantastic finish. If you're watching at home, do you want to be, you know, and, and it was on free to air, yeah. do you want to see Colin de Grandome bowl 10 overs, 1 for 25? What I'm saying is that is that riveting. You have to, you sort of have to be a connoisseur almost of the game mm. to be riveted by that. You know, you do actually want balls going to the boundary. You do want balls disappearing over the rope as well. That, that, that would be my thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's a brilliant occasion um, helped by a stunning, unique finish mm. to uh, a big match. But... Um, was it was it gripping throughout the whole hundred overs? It probably wasn't. New Zealand's innings was like it was about what are they going to get together, and it was all about then the chase. Could England deal with their attack on, on this pitch? And then it became gripping. So perhaps you know for 50 overs, it wasn't that an exciting match. But you could see exactly what New Zealand were trying to do. They worked it out. It's their method in this World Cup, and it nearly worked. Well. Anyway, whether it was the ideal pitch for a a World Cup final, certainly the nation would have been gripped in that last half hour. And and the guy who called it, as I said, was Ian Smith. And I talked to him afterwards about the whole experience of commentating in that sort of situation. I thought um, India the other day at Old Trafford would uh, probably be the peak of my powers. But uh, to sit through that and, and yell through it through the emotions of both sides... Probably, um, uh, it'll never be repeated from there. I don't think I can go to that peak and finish in that trophy ever again. We've had, so that's eight World Cups now, either yeah. as a player or commentator. And that, that, although you didn't win, that must be the highlight in a way. Yeah, I think so. I, I think as a cricket fan, and I am a cricket fan, I'm not just a cricket commentator or a former player, I'm a fan of the game. You cannot get better than that. I mean, so many lives... Um, so many young lives around the world should be influenced by that as a spectacle. There should be kids picking up cricket bats from every corner of the earth wanting to emulate the drama that we've just seen. And so from, from my point of view, um, I think that's the best part of it. Sure, I'm disappointed. Sure, I'm gutted from a New Zealand point of view. I'm, I'm, I feel sick in the stomach for the players. Um, and I know what the reaction will be at home. They'll be well received. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll be heroes, but it means not a lot if you've got nothing to show for it. Um, you know, and that they were so close. They could reach out and touch the World Cup. They could go within, within reach. I mean, there's so many little things you look at in the course of pretty much eight hours of cricket, which is a long time, and you think they'll sit up there, what could I, how could I have saved one more run? What could I have done more differently? The fact of the matter, the whole picture is, um, is that as a team, they gave it absolutely everything they had and more. And uh, actually, there, there were so many sort of ridiculous things like that crazy overthrow, which I thought actually it was played in the most wonderful spirit. Uh, you know, two nations that really do respect each other, and there was no argument about that. I mean, it was unbelievably no. unlucky that it went off the Stokes' bat no. before, but they just all accepted it really. And yep. Williamson, quite rightly, won Player of the Tournament, not only for his 
ability, but his dignity and uh, just general kind of deportment. Yeah, I'm particularly proud of, of Kane Williamson. Uh, I'm proud of the team, but I'm particularly proud of, of him as an individual. I, I think he's done um, a lot of great things in the, in the last seven weeks, not just on the field of play, but his demeanour. Uh, the standard he accepts that the team buy into has painted cricket in a really good light. You know, cricket has had its moments of despair, really, and, and ugliness from time to time, but there was, there's nothing ugly about what Kane Williamson does for cricket. He, he's, a, he's a master craftsman with a bat. Tactically, he grows every day, you know, and he went within an inch of, literally an inch, hmm. of being on top of the world, and now he's got a dream that hasn't been realised, and he has to think about restarting and trying again. And you've had a dream. You've, you've been able to commentate on the World Cup final with... Creaky and beaky. <laughs> How's that been? Well, it's it's been a battle now, and it's been particularly disappointing because they're beaky and creaky. They've got, one up, <laughs> they've got the bragging rights for the next four years at least. So, uh, no, it's honestly uh, to be a commentator in this type of atmosphere uh, in this event. It's it's not a right. It's a privilege, and I thank the people that have given me that opportunity and put me in the chair at the crucial moments to be able to do it. so it must, How long was that stint in the end? Oh, it, look. it was down on the, the rotor, sort of 41 overs, and it was about well, two hours. Well, the last game in Old Trafford went for two days. That felt like three. <laughs> that, that game felt like we've been here for three days. It was just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to lose my voice a bit. I need a bit of lubrication, and that's not far away, I promise you. Well, we're at Lords and just looking out as the players still doing their interviews about an hour and a half after play has ended. And, of course, uh, everybody's uh, trying to grab a piece of, of every player. We've got a little chat with Liam Plunkett coming up in a minute. And I suppose looking back over England's four-year campaign, which, of course, started against New Zealand in 2015 at, at Edgebaston uh, when they posted that 400 score. And, actually, most of those players that played in that first or second game have... have Remained, the selectors remain faithful to them, and they are a, a pretty immense side, actually, aren't they? I mean, I, and actually, I thought today, particularly, fitness really showed through. And you know, I, I some some people are a little uh, dismissive of the fact they've got such a, an endless support staff, but those support staff actually do a huge amount of work behind the scenes. And someone like Phil Scott, the trainer, who just gets these guys up into the right shape to be able to play these these long games, 100 overs of cricket is a long game. Plus, you then got a super over as well. I mean, it really does test you. And Stokes, by the end, looked at yeah. almost. A, I think he's going to need about a two-month lie down after this. <laughs> well, he can't have a two-month lie down because the Ashes start in about uh, I don't know two and a half weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, and he's going to be absolutely vital for England in the Ashes. It's interesting you mentioned the fitness because, of course, the person who threw the ball in, who was most under pressure on the final ball of the of this, se- yeah. this year's World Cup, was Jason Roy, who's had that hamstring injury. He'd actually misfielded on one side of the ground. He was put to the other side of the ground, under pressure again. And you know, It wasn't a perfect throw to Josh Butler, but he got there, he picked it up, he, he got the ball in. So his fitness just about held yeah. for this tournament. And that's actually remarkable that you can go into a World Cup, pull a hamstring, come back before the end of it, and then affect what was you know, the, well, the, the most crucial moment at the end. What about Joffre Archer? As a bowler, Simon, you played at Lords, mm. you, you bowl that nightmare over, yeah. I know it still plagues you even now, he's Warwickshire in the late 80s and that. 
uh, final. What about Archer's well, final over? Actually, although it's obviously not really, it's it's comparing apples with pears. But the, I also bowled a final over in a game here, the Benson Hedges final, when it was 14 to win. So very similar to Archer's over uh, with 15 to win, and. I remember going for a six off the third ball, a bit like Archer did. And you suddenly think, oh, God, you know, this, this isn't going to be my day. But you sort of have to just focus. You have to think, I can somehow, if I can just produce a dot ball from somewhere, we might have a chance. And it, it got with exactly the same for me. It got down to five off three, then five off two. And then you start thinking, yeah, now it's my, my chance if I just hold my nerve. I mean, it's a huge uh, task to, to, to be encumbered with. Uh, for Morgan to give him that would he have been your demand. choice would he have been your choice yeah, he would actually uh, because he's the fastest bowling well he's actually Mark Wood is the fastest bowler I suppose but Archer you feel he's got the most controlled speed and knows exactly where he's putting it he's got those variations as well he's got those bounces that uh, the batsmen around the country just haven't been able to in the tournament haven't been able to pick up uh, so he's got sort of various things and he just seemed to have that composure that generally I, I watched him now for four months bowling in all sorts of circumstances and he just always seems very calm very unflappable uh, almost sort of un, un, inhumanly so so I think from that point of view and the fact that he bowled excellent five overs at the death in the actual match as well uh, as we listen to people de-rigging the, <laughs> the uh, technical stuff here uh, I think he was the right choice and obviously he just about held it together yeah I, mean, I have to say he would have been my pick and I said at the time he would, he would have been my pick to bowl when, it, when that six disappeared into the main stand I wasn't quite so sure but do you, know, do you know what, what, what actually convinced me that he was the right pick? Was actually, funnily enough, his first ball in that super over was given as a wide, yeah. but it was 90 miles an hour and it was almost pinpoint yeah. accurate. Having not bowled for like four hours, yeah. he bowled a, a, an attempted wide Yorker, which was a perfect Yorker, which went over the line of the, of the marker of the marker that delineates what is a wide. It didn't go past it, it just went over it, yeah. and unfortunately it was given as a wide. But I thought, actually at the time, you've got, you've, you've got it together here because you, could, you can produce a ball like that. Yeah, well, he's had a magnificent World Cup. To think that people saying, oh, should he be picked or not, and it was in, supposedly in doubt. We, we dealt with this in our preview podcast. I always thought he was going to play, just sort of listening to uh, you know, those behind the scenes. I always thought he was going to play in this, in this World Cup, be selected once he became available. What, what, a, what a future he's got ahead of him. Um, but there are other... Well, I just want to say, I just want to draw attention to a, a headline in today's newspaper. Archer poised to bowl New Zealand over. Who wrote that article, I, I bet wonder? It, I bet it was you. Was yes, that? funnily enough, it yeah. was. A uh, big article I read about that in the Sunday Times where I said that in 2003, a very exciting young England bowler came to the fore in the World Cup. That, of course, was Jimmy Anderson, yeah. who bowled out Pakistan famously in Cape Town. And this World Cup, another very exciting young, raw, talented, fast bowler has come f- through for England. Maybe he can actually win the World Cup for England, which Jimmy never managed to do. No. And he has. That's right. Jimmy played in four World Cups. But you, we talk about the, the young bowler. What about the veteran? 
Liam Plunkett today. He's had an unbelievable World Cup. Since every game he's played, England have won. Yes, and right. today, another three wickets. Very and instrumental in England restricting New Zealand to 241 for eight. And, and not only a, a great tournament for, for Liam Plunkett, but actually a great career as well, which has had various phases from fast bowler to being dropped to all sorts of injuries to coming back as a, as a different sort of bowler. And I caught up with him in the sort of celebration in the midst of all the, the melee outside on the outfield just to ask him what it felt like to win the World Cup it's not sunk in yet mate uh, I, I was speaking earlier this morning about uh, at some point I wasn't picked in the team right or wrong it, it is what it is in different conditions but you're disappointed you try not to show that you're obviously upset inside but like I, I know that I was in good rhythm I knew it I know that I'm not hitting 90 like I have done in the past and I'm trying to what can I work on how can I come back into the team uh, and still be effective uh, and obviously my cross team balling is I think I'm going to speak to you about it after the, the World Cup or whatever I'll have a chat uh, the cross team balling is just I am just both cross team I do mess around with the seam and it's something I'm trying to learn as a, as a craft when we get a little bit older you still got your skills but mate, today is a different level uh, yeah well, I guess it's, it's, it's something that it sort of it feels like reward for all that hard work. And I think you're an unsung hero, really, because you know nobody really wants to bowl those overs in the yeah. middle. You, you don't get any glory, do you, really? You pick up the wickets, you go for a few runs. Quite often the figures are sort of two for 50 or something, which doesn't look special, but actually you've made a, a, a vital contribution. Does it feel like that? <coughs> yeah, mate, absolutely. You know, like Morgs, Trev, all the, the guys in there, I think they know what role that is. If I can come in and get two big wickets in the middle, that, that's huge, isn't it? If you can pick up one or two, like, what is coming and doing that job also? Now, the last three or four years, I felt I have come in, I have picked up big wickets, because you know, if you get them people batting towards the end, there's ammunition, the guys are in. Like, like without guys, if, if Morgs bats away through or Giroi bats away through, you're going to get damage at the end. Uh, I do pride myself on picking wickets up in the middle, and yeah, I mean, the guys appreciate what I did. I'm, I'm not after any accolades or nothing like that. It must feel funny in a way, you know, you were a pace bowler, you still are a pace bowler, but you were a pace bowler five years ago who took wickets caught slip or caught short yeah. leg or whatever, and now you're getting wickets caught mid on or caught square leg. It's a, it's a change of emphasis, which I mean must be quite a hard thing, quite a hard evolution, I suppose. I think you try and lose your ego a little bit, mate. Uh, as much as I love playing test cricket here, going around the wicket ball at nine miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Like on my on my day, sometimes I click in and it comes out like that. But I really like what can I work with today? Uh, today I felt in good rhythm from the bottom end. I struggled from the top end. Felt like I was sliding a little bit. But it's as you said, you just try and hit the ball in the right area, mix up your seam a little bit, and try and pick up them wickets. Morgan's has been in class, mate. He, he's backed me all the way. Uh, he's not a captain to show motion. If you go for runs, you go for your boundaries. He, he backs you to take a wicket. Uh, in any big situation, he's always back me, uh, Paulie or Kane or whoever. He's always giving me the nod, say I want a wicket. Unfortunately for me, I've managed to pick up wickets in the, mid in the middle, and it's obviously, yeah. Well, you, you've made bowling cross seam into a bit of an art form, I think. And I watched your uh, wickets today. Kane Williamson wicket was a cross seamer, but it actually pitched on the seam yeah. and moved away. I think it is, mate. It's because if I do ball seam up, uh, sometimes I try and ball too quick. I get an angle and it goes into the leg. So when I'm holding the cross seam and trying to ball quick, it actually comes across. Uh, the seam shows up a little bit and manages to hold its length. Uh, I spoke to Chris Silver and he was like, how do you do that? And I was like, honestly, mate, I try and timp around the seam. Uh, I, I managed to hold it a little bit. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, it's nice to get that. During Pakistan, he noticed it against uh, Baba. Baba, there's like one that nipped away from yeah, cross seam. Yeah. And, I try to smash the pitch across seam and 
I think first change, obviously the World Cup a little bit different, but playing cricket across the world, if you seam up in the middle, you're not going to get nothing out of it. It feels like you're just going to go nothing sideways. I feel like a more chance of hitting the, the cross seam might skate a bit of bounce, and that's worked for me, mate. Biggest day of your life? 100%. Not, not uh, sunk in fully yet. Uh, I, was, I was emotional upstairs, the guards celebrating. Uh, it's, it's been a long journey for me uh, so far. And obviously, I feel like I'm in a good place now, top of my game, I feel like. So uh, I'm excited to enjoy the celebration. What, 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 what was it like in the dressing room in that sort of run chase at the end there, the last couple of overs? What was that like? For me, you know, I haven't spoken to the guys about it. It's it went so quick. It's a bit surreal. But I feel like no one, no one's going to leave it to anyone else. Everyone wants to step out, step out and do it. But they also know the person behind it can do it. It's not like you're going to leave it to someone else. Like I can do the job. I'll try my best to do the job. Also, the few guys behind me can do the exact same thing. You know, everyone up there, management players, are backing you 100%. 14 years of professional cricket. It, it, well done. Congratulations. That's all Thanks, I can really say. Cheers, Go and enjoy it. it. So that's Liam Plunkett off to celebrate the. Uh, amazing achievements of England today and I, one little story that came out actually in the dressing room was I, I was trying to get the, the sense of what it was like the tension, the drama in the dressing room Phil Neal, who's been the, the manager of the team for the last uh, God knows how long, two decades practically former Worcestershire player uh, he's one of the sort of masterminds of, of the team atmosphere and you know how superstitious cricketers are so when matches are going to a conclusion or there's some kind of very uh, strong partnership going, everyone sits in the same places yeah. or do the same things and what Phil Neal has been doing is riding on the uh, stationary bike in the dressing room or in the, the gym at the back of the dressing room or whatever uh, and he can't get off it if there's a partnership underway until that partnership is over. So, so you've got, got to keep on riding. So he said a couple of times he's been on when Roy and Bearstow <laughs> have gone out to bat and he's been riding for an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, good for fitness, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, good way of staying sort of, you know, in good nick. So in this, apparently, during the Butler-Stokes <laughs> partnership uh, this afternoon, he was uh, back back on the stationary bike again for, you know, about, I don't know, 17, 18 overs or something. I think he's lost quite a bit of weight during this tournament. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um... So what about the tournament as a whole then? Um, well, we said actually last week, didn't we? Um, has it been a great tournament? And I said, well, it hasn't, but it's had great moments. Mm. But this actually has made it into a great tournament in the end because it's had a, a fitting climax with the, the outcome uncertain until the last, literally the last ball. Uh, apart from a bit of crappy weather in the middle uh, in Bristol, two of the best four Hold on, teams. hold on, hold on. It also rained in Southampton as well. It all wasn't, right, it wasn't just right. in Bristol. Yeah, OK, fine. But anyway, I mean, thank God the rain didn't last today to, to sort of make a damp strip of the final. So I think overall, yeah, I think it's been a, a very good tournament. I wouldn't say great because it just feels like a little bit too long and that perhaps India probably deserved to be in the final as well and they didn't play well against New Zealand. But apart from that, I think very good. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, would we be saying the same thing if New Zealand had won? You know, it would have probably felt from, a, from an English perspective, you know, the hosts, it's so important, that four-year build-up, it felt like a bit of an anti-climax. Um, but... You'll, you'll never see a day like this again. No. Um, New Zealand, well, they'll wish they'd, they'd never seen it because it was absolutely, I mean, utterly, it was utterly cruel on them. 
Um, just one, noticing one man walking away out there. Uh-huh. What a, an absolutely amazing few months it's been, traumatic few months it's been for him, Andrew Strauss, Andrew Strauss yeah. with his two sons walking across the outfield. He was the guy, of course, who got this whole, whole one-day ball rolling and put the emphasis on one-day cricket. Uh, he's had the, the, the absolutely tragic experience of losing his wife, Ruth, in December uh, to, after you know several months of, of this uh, un- incurable lung disease and had, now has to br- bring up those two boys on his own. They are talented cricketers. In fact, he was telling me the other day he played his first game with his oldest, Sam, and made 27 or something. But, I mean, he must be... That, that is at least some compensation... Uh, well, you can't compensate for the loss of your wife, but it's, it, it's a, it must give him at least a feel-good uh, sensation today. He got that campaign going, and he's seen it come to fruition. Yeah, because he had to give up his job because of the illness as well. Yes, he had to give up his job which, because of Ruth's illness, so he's been working on the, the television commentary on the, on the media side of it. But, yeah, as he strolls across that outfield, he'll feel a real sense of satisfaction that he got this going. Mm. And if you think about it... He was the guy that orchestrated England getting to number one in the world as a test team, as captain in 2011. And he has been the guy who's orchestrated England getting to number one in the world as a one-day team and finally winning the World Cup. So he's what you might call a master planner. Yeah, well, you you wonder whether he'll come back in at at some point in in the future. Um, And and I think, you know, and I think, I suppose, you know, just, just to finish, really, it's been on national TV today as well as, of course, on BBC... Lots of people would have tuned in in that last hour and a half and thought, wow, cricket is quite a good sport, this, isn't it? I think it, will, it, it won't have quite the same uh, dramatic effect on cricket that 2005 the Ashes had uh, in the sense that that was a build-up over a long time. Yeah, it was over and, many weeks. And, and that, the narrative it? sort of kept unfolding. Yeah. and It was a story that kept giving in a way. And still cricket was very much part of the fabric of the, of the sporting summer. It's become less so now. But this, I think, at least will cause a bit of a spike in the interest in the game, mm. with the Ashes coming up later in the summer, and uh, you know a sort of change in the whole format of cricket after this year. Yeah, well, I've hugely enjoyed the World Cup. It's been fantastic going around all the grounds and seeing you know all the, the different team support as well, and the, the different atmospheres at all the games. I think it's been, from my point of view, an excellent World Cup. Um, it probably, I agree with the Ashes. The Ashes was that sort of intense. Week by week, or day by day, excitement wasn't it? Was the World Cups had good, good, you know, highs and lows? So it's not been quite the same. But of course, massive high today, similar to the one at the Oval in in 2005. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I hope you have as well. We've you know we've enjoyed talking about it as well, and you know the ups and downs yeah. of, of the World Cup over the last uh, six and a half yeah, weeks. And, and there is no, no bigger high for the followers of England cricket than what's happened today. No, I'm Lords. so pleased for the players and all their support staff actually because they put so much into this. And, uh, and they've got the rewards, and they really deserve it, and I'm very, very proud of all of them. But as you say, uh, it's... <laughs> on we go. On we go. It's, you know, it's the, I mean, the Ashes. We've still got the Ashes to go this summer, yeah. Um, it's, it, it feels like enough for one summer, this, doesn't yeah. it? But there's a bit more to come, folks. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, of course, we'll be bringing you uh, each day of the Ashes as well after they start on August the 1st. Well, the sun's setting at Lords. What an amazing scene we've seen today. Actually, it's been a privilege yeah. to be here today. Well done to England, and congratulations to them. And a, a, a tremendous occasion was fittingly crowned by that final over. And commiserations to New Zealand, because yeah. they played their part and they were desperate unlucky. Hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast. Yeah. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.